when I did this. So just know you're welcome on that. having a theme song at my other church. This is growing on me. I, I like this idea where I have a little theme song as I get ready for the sermon. So who didn't want to be Mr. Rogers when you were growing up, right? Everybody loved Mr. Rogers. Now as we begin, I got to give you a, a disclaimer. I have not seen the new Mr. Rogers movie. I have three young children. Going out to the movies involves a lot of stars aligning that usually doesn't happen. So unless the Spider-Man is in the movie, we probably don't get out to see it that much. But I do know from what I've heard from the movie, is my mic okay? It might just cause some trouble. I'm good? I'm so, okay. What I do know from the movie is that there seems to be this very powerful connection between Mr. Rogers' faith and what he did and how we all came to know him as Mr. Rogers. So we're beginning a new sermon series this morning. Um, and I had the honor of kicking it off and to talk about some of these qualities that Mr. Rogers embodied as part of his understanding of who he was and who God called him to be. So this morning, we're going to talk about radical and inclusive love. Now, when I think of the word radical, that's not usually the word I think of when we talk about Mr. Rogers. Uh-oh. Usually I get like three minutes into the sermon before they pull me off stage. You want to trade? Sure. I think it's me. I told them they needed to plan music to play me off if it got bad, but really. So I don't usually think of the word radical when I think of Mr. Rogers, right? That's, that's a very different word in our culture right now, not necessarily a, a positive one. And a lot of times also when we talk about radical love in the church, it often turns into this hospitality sermon, which makes me feel really guilty that I need to go do more things. Because let's be honest, I told you I have three kids. I'm tired. I'm tired all the time. I can't add one more thing to my to-do list. But I also know that Mr. Rogers operated out of this deep conviction of his faith and his Christian values and that radical, inclusive love was so central to his identity. So when Pastor Terry sent me the clip that you just saw of Mr. Rogers in the swimming pool and said, this is what the sermon is going to be based on this Sunday, I immediately thought of this scripture from John chapter 13 because for me, something about feet and water is a really powerful image. So I want to look at this from John 13. I want to set the stage here just for a second. So this is the last time that Jesus is going to try to get his message across. We know the end is near. And so he's called together these people who have studied with him, who have walked with him, prayed with him, annoyed him, frustrated him, and have given up everything to follow him. And tonight, that's their last meal together. And so the scripture writer has, thank you for hiding the scripture, because I know everybody starts reading it, even if you tell them not to. So thank you. Before the festival of Passover, Jesus knew that his time had come to leave this world and go to the Father. 
having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them fully. Jesus and his disciples were sharing the evening meal. Now the devil had already provoked Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray Jesus. But Jesus knew the Father and had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the table and took off his robes and picking up a linen towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he was wearing. And then we kind of fast forward some in the story, and he says, after he had washed the disciples' feet, he put his robe on and returned to his place at the table. And he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you speak correctly because I am. But if I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you too must wash each other's feet. I have given you an example, just as I have done, you also must do. Now, I really love how the gospel writer frames this picture of this final moments. Jesus knows that in a few hours, the end will come. He's going to be betrayed and sold off. He's going to be tortured, beaten, and eventually left to die on a cross. His last chance to get the message across. And do you notice what the gospel writer did there? He, he put this emphasis. Jesus knew. He knew that his time had come, so he loved them fully. And then he repeated it again later. Jesus knew the Father had given him everything, and so he loved them by washing their feet. And then in verse 12, Jesus kind of turned the table some and said, Do you know what I've done? Now go and love others the way that I have loved you. Jesus knew, and therefore he loved. And at the time, this picture is, in fact, incredibly radical. Because teachers do not wash feet, right? This is a job assigned to a slave. This is given to someone who has to do it. This is disgusting. This is gross. Good, right, nice people don't do this. And yet, Jesus is going to wash the feet of the man who's going to sell him off for the price of a slave in just a few hours. And he's going to wash the feet of the man, his best friend, who's going to deny even knowing him. And he's going to wash the feet of all the people who are going to run away at his darkest hour. But Jesus knew who he was. And he knew the Father's love. He was secure in his identity and his call. And so he loved anyway. Radical, inclusive love is secure in their identity. Jesus knew. And Mr. Rogers knew. He knew that Jesus loved him. Do you know? Do you know that God loves you this morning? Because where God calls us to be comes out of who we are 
and our very identity and our, our essence. There's a uh, quote that I share all the time when I'm working with, with students or, or young adults, right? I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. I said, well, here I am. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. But I know this. Frederick Buechner said, the place God calls you is where your deep joy and the world's deep hunger meet. And I love that because it's different for every single person. And it comes out of what do you love? Who are you? And that's where God's going to call you to be. And when we know who we are, it's easy to go in love from that place. I know that God did not put in me a love for accounting. That is not my call. And it shows up every time I have to do a trustee or a budget meeting. But thank God there are people in my church who love numbers. I know what I'm called because I know who I am. And all Mr. Rogers did, right, he took the same message, the same hope of Jesus, and he just put it into a kid's show. Now, Mr. Rogers was actually a Presbyterian minister. He's not Methodist, but let's just run with him for a bit, all right? He's okay, I promise. He knew Jesus, but he also knew his heart was for those who he thought were not in the church right now. He was looking and saying, someone's not here, right? He felt like there, there was a margin, those not being included. So for him, this desire and he would say to minister, this call from God was to care for kids through this new thing called daytime television. And at the time, that was really radical. Like, kids, you want to go care for kids. Look, Fred, ki kids don't contribute to the church budget, right? Uh, 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 kids can't serve on, on boards, and, and, and they can't, you know, really do anything. They're just, and you want to do it through TV? Really? I think radical, inclusive love always has an eye for who's on the margins and who's not in here. Because if I look at Jesus' kind of ragtag band of friends, they're not exactly the cream of the crop. Right? If I'm going to start kind of a revolution, I'm going to get a couple of Hollywood stars so that way they look really pretty on all of our pictures. I'm going to get a couple of Nobel Prize winners, you know. Got to get a couple of big bankers to, to fund everything. No. Jesus decides that the answer is, I'm going to pick some reject fishermen that nobody wants. I'm going to pick women. <gasps> I'm going to pick a bunch of kids. <gasps> Maybe throw in a couple of corrupt government officials, some losers. No, this, this is who I want. Jesus breaks all the expectations, goes outside the norm, and decides that those who are unworthy and those that are on the margin, they need to be the first to know that God loves them. So who's on your margins? 
I was reading and uh, this book that had some psychology in it, and, and an interesting fact is most people will divide between a friend and a stranger. We just naturally will draw these divisions because a friend is someone that you feel comfortable around, right? You feel relaxed, and, and, and there's an ease about maybe the way you talk or that relationship. And a stranger not necessarily is someone who is bad. It's just someone who's naturally different. It's just a little un, uncomfortable. I just don't feel like I can let my hair down around you. I just don't know. Now, in our society, that will develop, right, into the fear of the stranger. And we call that that's xenophobia. Xeno, meaning stranger, and phobia, fear. But then, of course, in the scriptures, it, it always messes things up. Jesus is great at that. And God calls us to a philozena, which we oftentimes translate as hospitality, but really means phila is friend. Zena, stranger, the friend of the stranger. So in Hebrews chapter 13, it'll say, don't neglect to show hospitality, this friend to an unknown, for by doing so, some have entertained angels without even knowing it. And let's be honest, the minute that man walked through the door and put on his cardigan and asked me every morning, won't you be my neighbor? Mr. Rogers decided to turn me, this stranger that he had never met, into a friend through this hospitality and this love. Now, the problem is with Mr. Rogers, or really with any of our heroes of the faith, right? You start talking about Martin Luther King Jr. or, or Mother Teresa, they seem so far away, right? How many people have said, well, I'm, I'm no Mr. Rogers, right? I'm no Mother Teresa, I'm just doing my best, right? I can't be like that. But all Mr. Rogers did was say, okay, who's not being invited to the table? Who, who needs to come have their feet washed right now? Because the clip that you saw earlier was actually something very intentional that Mr. Rogers did five years earlier. A motel owner decided that he didn't like that people of two different color were in the same swimming pool. There's this stranger in my pool. And so he threw acid on them. It's a, it's a famous picture that was in the newspaper and sparked a lot of racial riots and stuff. And so Mr. Rogers, in response to this act of fear and hatred, Instead said, okay, I need to invite someone to come share a pool of water with me. And it made me realize that radical and inclusive love is incredibly disciplined. And I, I usually forget that part of it, right? Because in Mr. Rogers' day, there were lots of people who had a heart for reaching out to the margins and to reaching out for kids. And there were lots of people who were unsatisfied about injustices and, and wrongs, but why do we know Mr. Rogers? Because he did something about it. The, the dedication and planning of putting together 
a TV show every single week. And from what I heard from the movie, his personal life was just as disciplined. He was focused on, on exercise and, and reading and studying and, and learning more about his craft. And I think he did it because it took him to a place where God could use him the most. Now, this is really hard for me because my family will attest to the fact I am full of great ideas. But I am terrible at actually doing them. And it is really good to have nice thoughts about people. But Jesus didn't just say nice things. He took off the towel. He got uncomfortable. He got down on the floor with dirty, smelly feet, and he did something about it. I'm finishing a book right now called Stranger God. And it's all based on this story that Jesus tells in Matthew 25. It's one of, one of the famous stories Jesus tells. He says, at the end of the time, the king will sit there, and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And the king will turn to the sheep and say, you are blessed. You are loved. Come into my father's kingdom, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison, and you came and visited me. And the sheep, in shock, will say, well, well Lord, when did, we, when did we do this? And then they repeat the list. When did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and gave you something to drink and naked and clothed you and sick and in prison and visited you? And the king will say, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. And then, of course, the king turns to the goats on the other side and says, depart from me. Leave my presence because I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. And he goes through it again. And the ghost will say, well, when did we forget you, Lord? And the king will say, when you didn't do it for the least of these. Now, I always thought that meant, okay, I need to do nice things, right? I go to church. I'm going to get involved with the mission trip. Got to do nice things. That's what God wants me to do. And then I read this book. And, and it kind of, you know, when you read a good book, it sticks you in the side, kind of twists a little bit. And the author said, no, no, did you catch where he said, you did it for me? And the author said, what if Jesus is in disguise? What if Jesus is, is in disguise in all of these things? And it's not about just doing good deeds, but it's actually about recognizing Jesus as the stranger. What if God is a stranger God? And it kind of opened my eyes to seeing Jesus in a whole new way. So I went in to, to work that morning and into the office, and Jesus came into church that day. Uh, Jesus had just moved to Moberly, uh, didn't have a lot in her apartment, and Jesus asked me for some furniture. Funny enough, my husband and I were planning on selling this couch. So I went home and I said, Eric, you're not going to believe this. Jesus needs our couch. And he has learned to roll with me, right? So he's like, okay, whatever you want, babe. Just tell me where to drop it off, right? So I gave Jesus a couch this week. Went back into the office. Jesus came back in. 
Um, Jesus has lost um, a spouse, really dealing with a lot of grief and sorrow. And so I sat down and I cried with Jesus for about 45 minutes. Then I went out to lunch and Jesus sat down at my table. Jesus really likes chicken strip and fries, apparently. Uh, and Jesus is going back to college soon and, and is trying to find a community, wants to get plugged in because um, feeling kind of lonely and, and, and wants to stay connected to God and his faith and to, to people who can support him. So, so Jesus and I shared french fries. And then, then I went home, and I'm, I'm kind of tired, right, and worn out. Jesus comes up. Jesus wants me to push him on the swing set. Can't say no to Jesus, right? So I go outside, pushing Jesus on the swing set. He, he kicked me a couple times because Jesus is only three, but that's okay. And I realized radical hospitality is not about doing more things. It's just about seeing things differently and being opened to these unexpected friendships. In a moment, we're going to come to the table of communion, and Jesus is going to come up with you. And Jesus is sitting right next to you right now. Now, I know if you're sitting next to your spouse, this is a hard thing to swallow, but just run with me on this thought here, okay? In my church, where I serve in Moverly, um, we, we have a giant blue rug, and we, and we have a, a beautiful wooden altar. And on both of them, it says, do this in remembrance of me. And it's our reminder to remember that Jesus is in disguise. That Jesus is going to come up with us to the communion table and that we catch a glimpse of Jesus every time we practice this, this radical inclusive love. After our scripture this morning, Jesus goes through the horrors of Good Friday. He's nailed to a cross. He's put in the ground. Three days later, rises again. Hooray, Easter Sunday. We all celebrate. Then a couple days later, two friends are walking along the road. Sad from all the events, trying to figure out what's going on. And this stranger comes up. And they said, well, come, come journey with us. Let's walk together. It's safer. And let's just talk. And so they're talking about well, the events that have just happened in Jerusalem. And they come to the town, and the two friends say to the stranger, come eat with us. I mean, this is, this is a radical thing. Come, come sit and break bread with us. We, know, we don't know you well, but we know you're hungry. And so as they sit down at the table together, and the stranger breaks the bread, it says that their eyes were open to realize that it had been Jesus walking with them the whole time. But it was only when they took the step and invited them to their table, when they made the stranger their friend, that their eyes were opened. I honestly think that Mr. Rogers thought that every single person that he met was actually Jesus. And because of that, he could demonstrate the love of God to a little girl who watched him from her living room in St. Louis, Missouri, all those years ago. When we talk about this table that we break bread together, we always say in the Methodist church, it's a table of grace. 
And what that means that this is a gift to those who especially feel unworthy. Because in a culture that was all about honor and shame and who is good enough to come to the table, Jesus instead extends this invitation to all those who are inferior and are the losers of society. And he broke down all the walls of fear and scarcity and invited everyone to this table of hospitality. And so we believe in the Methodist Church, everybody is welcomed here. And so I'm going to share with you the invitation that I share at my church every time we come to communion. I say that the table is ready. It's a table of company with Jesus and everyone who loves him. It is a table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It's a table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come to the table you who have much faith, and you who would like to have more. You who have been here often, and you who have not been for a long time. You who have tried to follow Jesus, and you who have failed, come. For it is Christ who invites us here. Will you join me in prayer?